And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us ears to hear the word that your spirit is saying to the churches. Your word is living and active, sharper than the edges of the sharpest two-edged blade and able to pierce between bone and marrow. Lord, give me grace to wield such a tool this morning that I might use it with care and precision to bring healing and not harm, peace and not pain, conviction and not confusion. In Jesus' name, amen. Incident is the title of a poem by County Colin, who was an African-American poet of the Harlem Renaissance. Once riding in old Baltimore, heart filled, head filled with glee, I saw a Baltimorean keep looking straight at me. Now I was eight and very small and he was no whit bigger. And so I smiled. But he poked out his tongue and called me the N-word. I saw the whole of Baltimore from May until December, and of all the things that happened there, that's all that I remember. Now, I came across this poem, actually the week that I began preparing this sermon, I was gripped by how powerfully it expresses this deep pain of exclusion. The poem begins in rapturous glee, right, full of naive expectations of all the wonders that the big city has to offer. But just one experience of hate, of exclusion, of othering, brings the poet such shame that his head and his heart are emptied of the glee that he started with. And the rest of his experience is ripped away from him. He so badly wants to remember all the good things of Baltimore, but he can't. The pain is too much. All he knows is his exclusion. So you may or may not know the same kind of exclusion experienced by Colin, who obviously was a victim of racism and systemic exclusion, but you know that pain, because everybody knows exclusion. We all carry around in our bodies, in our minds, the memories of shame, of that time 
when an experience of exclusion hurt us? Do you still remember what it felt like to be excluded from your family as a kid? Whether it was physical exclusion or emotional exclusion. It was something your parents said to you, or it was something that they never said to you and you desperately wished that they would have. These wounds can run deep, can't they? What kind of pain from exclusion do you carry with you? You might hate to admit it, but there are people in your life that you want to make love you. Or you want them to start loving you. You want them to keep loving you. You want them to love you again. You want them to stop loving the fake you and start loving the real you. Because that's the only way that anyone can truly belong is by being fully known and fully loved. Maybe you struggle even to find belonging in this church. Or maybe you're often excluded from your friends and your family. Maybe you're just living far from home or far from the people who feel like home. You feel left out of all those people enjoying physical health and emotional health, intellectual ability, social privilege, political representation. Door after door of opportunities and your life gets slammed in your face and leaving you constantly with that feeling of being left out. You're no stranger to exclusion. So how do we respond when life shuts these doors in our face? What hope do we have as we sit outside a door that's locked for months or for years, wondering when will it be my turn? Will I ever truly belong? Now you might respond with anger or resentment at whoever shut this proverbial door, right? You might call to question the justice of it all, like it's not fair. Some of us in this situation will tend toward taking matters into our own hand, right? Springing into action, anxiously striving to open the door by any means necessary. Others of us might tend towards despair or inaction or just giving up. But neither of these responses are useful. But more seriously, neither of these responses are faithful. And our passage this morning contains a balm of comfort for those who experience this pain of exclusion and shut doors. The church in Philadelphia knew this pain of exclusion all too well, and Jesus writes to them. He writes to them with words of comfort and hope that he's with them, that he loves them, and that he has the key to every door in their life, that he has a purpose for their pain. In fact, it's actually in the pain of exclusion that the church and the soul has its most profound experience of belonging. So when you're secure in your belonging in Jesus, only then can you give the faithful response to a shut door which is patient endurance. In Jesus, you belong. That's the message of today's sermon. In Jesus, you belong. And this truth is a twofold comfort that we see in this letter. Right? We're comforted first in the pain of exclusion, and second in the promise of inclusion. And then we'll end by considering 
the cost of belonging. So the pain of exclusion, the promise of inclusion, and the cost of belonging. So first, where can we find comfort when the pain of exclusion seems unbearable? Let's look at the beginning of this letter. Verse 7, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. So Jesus says here that he has the key of David. Well, what's this mean? He's asserting himself as the true son of David, the heir of the messianic kingdom. So the language of, of keys and doors here is actually a reference to the book of Isaiah. In chapter 22 of Isaiah, Shebna is the administrator of the palace of David, the royal household, right? The position of administrator was one of really high authority, second only to the king. But Shebna turned out to be a faithless steward. And so the Lord replaced him with Eliakim. And in Isaiah 22, 22, the Lord says, and I will place on his shoulder, of Eliakim's shoulder, the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall open. So Eliakim was given control over access to the king and his responsibility was to dispense the resources and the blessings of the kingdom. And likewise, Jesus now holds the key of the new David. He's the faithful steward, not of an earthly kingdom, but of the kingdom of God. He has his father's authority over the doors of the kingdom of God, which is the deeper reality of things. The kingdom of God is the already and the not yet kingdom. It's been inaugurated already, and it's in our midst even now, but the fullest expression of the kingdom is not yet. There's only one door to enter the kingdom, and that's Jesus himself. But there are many doors in God's kingdom, doors that are already and doors that are not yet. And so why is he telling this to the church in Philadelphia? Well, let's look at the next verse in verse 8. I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. Now notice that the door that Jesus sets before the church in Philadelphia is an open door. And this is so important because why would an open door be good news to this church? Well, it's because this is a church of Jewish Christians who were cast out of their synagogue. Right? The synagogue in Philadelphia had shut its doors on the Jewish Christians. Now, St. John tells the story of a man who is blind from birth and who, he's healed by Jesus. And in John 9, the man's cast out of the synagogue because he believed that the person who healed him was from God. The Pharisees then threatened to cast out anybody else who followed Jesus. So the door of the synagogue was shut on the Jewish Christians. Jesus' love led him to heal the blind man. But by receiving and acknowledging Jesus' love, he's cast out of his synagogue. Right, The only place in the world where a blind Jewish beggar could find 
belonging. To have the one door of a life of belonging slammed in your face, imagine his pain. You might not have to imagine it, do you? Maybe there's even a closed door in your life right now. Do you feel shut out of something or someone? Because being on the outside of a locked door that you want open is a lot like not being fully loved. You've been excluded, and for whatever reason, right, someone else's sin, your own sin, systemic sin, or even just the mysteries of God's will and the circumstances of life. Maybe you feel shut in by something. Right, there are doors in our lives that are locked from the outside, and we feel trapped. And being locked inside a door that you want open is a lot like not being fully known. Because people on the outside of the door, they might want to love you, they want to let you experience God's love through them, but they can't reach you. You're locked in by shame and secrecy and fear. Whatever the locked door in your life might be, the Lord doesn't leave you without hope. Because when the door of the synagogue was slammed on the face of the man from John 9, his door to belonging was closed. But that closed synagogue door was in fact an open door. Because as soon as the man stepped out of the synagogue, who was there waiting for him? It was Jesus. When the man was excluded from his community, Jesus was eager to give him true belonging. You see, the man born blind was fully known and fully loved by Jesus. This is true of the church in our letter, and it's true of you. So consider that the closed door in your life is in fact an open door. It's a door open to a deeper and realer experience of Jesus' love. Let's look at verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. So the Jewish Christians in Philadelphia, they were cast out and persecuted. Why? Because of their audacious claim that they were loved by Jesus. You should have the audacity to claim this too. Jesus has the deepest knowledge of your soul, your desires, and he loves you more fully than you can even imagine loving yourself. The pain of exclusion in this world is absolutely real and it's brutal. But no one except Jesus is able to fully know you and fully love you, at least not yet. And that's why you can never really obtain true belonging in this world. Because even the people with whom you experience the deepest expressions of God's love will mess up. The church messes up, right? Sometimes gravely. You'll mess up. You don't need me to tell you that. 
And the reality of this lack of satisfaction when earthly belonging is attained suggests that there's a truer object of the desire to belong. And that object is God. Because in God, you're always fully known and fully loved. You belong with him. You belong to him. You belong in his love. And this is the promise of inclusion, which is the second comfort of this letter, the promise of inclusion. So what does belonging in Jesus actually look like? What kind of love do we belong in? Well, the two images in this letter are that of a pillar and a pin. A pillar and a pin. Look at verse 12. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and never shall he go out of it. Never shall he go out of it. The Christians in Philadelphia were thrown out of their own house, were at their own place of worship and belonging, and so Jesus opens the door to his house, his own house. He gives the outcasts a place in his home. And it's not just any place, right? It's the hall of pillars. Now, a pillar isn't just a beautiful ornament, right? It's a permanent fixture. It's necessary for the structural integrity of the building. And so the promise here is an unshakable security in the home of our Heavenly Father. So unless you think that you can go outside our church right now and move one of those four pillars that stand in front, you have no business believing that anything can separate you from the love of our Father. Christ has placed you in his home. Never shall you go out of it. So that's the pillar. What about the pen? Verse uh, 12b, I guess. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. And so we receive three names from our one Trinitarian God. The name of Jesus God, the Father. The name of the city of God, which is associated with the Spirit, and Christ's new name. And so these new names mean that you're now a part of the family of God, right? The family of families. I will be your God and you will be my people, God says. My beloved is mine and I am his, God says. God is making his claim on you. He wants you to belong in his house. He yearns for it. And the pillar and the pin aren't just images of a future hope, but these are blessings which Christ has already won for you. You are today a pillar in Christ. His name is already written on you, and you belong to him. This is the promise of inclusion. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, you know, well, that's nice, and I think I believe it, but I don't feel it. I don't feel it. I'm still sitting in front of my locked door. I'm still drowning in the pain of not belonging, and I feel forsaken. What good is a hope deferred? 
How can I know that God is with me right now, that my suffering has meaning? Well, you can know. You can know because he paid the cost of belonging. This is our last point. He paid the cost of belonging. You see, for Jesus to be able to open the doors of your life and to welcome you into a life of belonging, he had a door shut on him. The author of Hebrews says that he was crucified outside the city gate. All right, why does he say that? The Son of God left the city of God, holy Jerusalem, Mount Zion, and the door of the city was slammed on him but not on his face because his face was turned towards Golgotha. And why? He was retrieving his beloved, his sons and daughters, you and I, who lay dead out in that wilderness, driven out from the city door, just like Adam and Eve were driven out from the garden for their sins before us. He went to the cross for you, died the death of the curse to save you from the curse. No one took his life, right? He laid it down for you because that's how far he wanted to go to reveal his love to you. His nail-pierced hands were spread wide to welcome his beloved home. His love was a costly love. And having died on the cross for love, one final door was shut on our Savior. There's a door that shuts on every human, a door that shuts and no one can open. The stone door of death was rolled in front of his tomb. This gargantuan geological mass was shut on Jesus. Right? What's more immovable than that? What's more hopeless than being cold in the dark on the wrong side of a stone door? But that's the door that Jesus opened. Right? He moved the immovable stone. How can anyone believe that God wasn't with Jesus in that tomb? God didn't open the stone door from the outside because he was in there with Jesus in the tomb, in the dark, in the silence, in the dreadful uncertainty. Does it sound familiar? In the pain and the numbness and the forsakenness. How can you believe that God isn't with you too? This is the love of God. You can receive it. You can receive it, friends. You were made for it. Even when the shame in your heart screams at you that you're unlovable and that you don't belong, God whispers to you, I have died. I have risen. And I'm coming for you again. In the world, you're an outcast. I was too. But in my house, you're a pillar. You belong. You belong. You'll never go out of it. 
Here's my name, I write it on your hand. And here's my name, I write it on your forehead. And here's my name, I write it on your heart. And I love you, I love you, I love you. Some of us struggle to believe this sometimes, don't we? When you need assurance that you're loved, you won't find it looking inwardly. You won't find it looking at your circumstances. But look at Jesus. Look at this letter and let God be the one to convince you. Because if you don't believe that you're loved, then you're believing the biggest and stupidest lie that Satan ever introduced into the world. I'm not saying that you're stupid. I'm saying that you're loved. And I'm not say- saying it, but the Bible's saying it. God's saying it. You are loved. Jesus is outside the door with you. He's going to open it. God's in the tomb with you. He's going to carry you out. May the Lord soften the soil of your heart to receive this love. May you find the grace of the Holy Spirit to express this love to others by making our church a place of belonging for even outcasts and sinners. And may this be the banner that we wave as a church, that we're loved by Jesus, to whom we all belong, and to whom be all honor and glory and praise, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. God of open doors, you're the one who's always with us. When we're afflicted with pain, uncertainty, and doubt, Lord, remind us that you're with us in the dark. We remember how you waited on the morning when you defeated the grave, how you stood to stare, even as we do now, at the inside of a door that you knew would move. We believe, Lord. Help our unbelief. Increase our faith, Lord, so that in all circumstances, through patient endurance, we can sing the joy of your salvation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.